This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as always by David Hughes. Dave, getting the sun in. Hopefully, mate, yeah. It's a... Uh... Very nice out there, isn't it? So it's a shame we uh, we couldn't take it outside. Uh, but you know, happy to sit in for an hour or so and talk football uh, on today's show, and then I'll I'll enjoy some some sun later. I think it could be a new uh, new concept that podcast in the park or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everything's open up again, isn't it? So maybe uh, maybe we can get, we can get that one signed off rather than going back to the studio. Yeah, that's it. Uh, but we've, we've came in because there's there's reasons to come in. Liverpool have I've got a busy week upcoming, and there's obviously a bit of breaking news that we're going to have to address. Well, ish. Um, so this week we're going to talk about obviously Ibrahim Kanate has been strongly linked with Liverpool. So we're going to talk about that one first up. Then we're going to look ahead to the weekend's game with Arsenal, and we're also going to preview the Champions League bout with Real Madrid. So, quite a big episode, Dave. Quite a fair amount to talk about. Um, but we will start with the the news that's the only news, really, I suppose, that's emerged throughout the uh, the international break, and that is Ibrahima Kanate is supposedly. I'm not sure exactly what the words were on the verge or Liverpool willing to pay his his buyout clause and stuff like that. But are you in any way surprised? What, what are your thoughts on the player? Well. I am surprised at how it come about. Um, you know, the international break isn't normally where you'd see these kind of announcements. Or you know, although Liverpool haven't made an announcement at the end, they've tried to play play down the um, the rumours saying that he's just one of five players that they're looking at in that uh, central defence area. I think it's pretty clear that it's it's probably a little bit more advanced than that. Uh, but you don't, yeah, you don't normally hear this information, do you? Um, in the March international break. So, yeah, quite surprised that come out. But, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, uh, you know, there's plenty of reasons to be excited. I think if you if you think of the best young centre-backs around in Wales football at the moment, you know, like De Ligt, Ruben Meccano, uh, Kundi, uh, Botman, you know, those kind of players, I think he's, he's right in there, isn't he? He's in that group. So, to be bringing in a, a, a player like that... Um, Especially in a, a key area that you you really want to strengthen in the summer, then you know it's it, it's it's only good news. Uh, so, you no, know, there might be one or two little concerns that we might come on to, but just in terms of the player himself, it's uh, looks to be a good move on paper at least. Yeah, I mean we we've flagged a few players over the course of the past few months who we think might be linked and stuff like that, and I must admit, Canate is one that we've looked past. Reason we've looked past him is because he's he's barely played, um. So I I just didn't think that 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 was the reason I was surprised. But the thing that most surprised me was just, you know, given Liverpool's really thorough recruitment process and trying to really minimise any risk attached to any signing. You know, investing thirty forty million into a player who, since the beginning of last season, has started only ten league games. I was quite surprised by that. Um. And that was one. That's the the primary reason I think why we've overlooked him on this pod because he, he hasn't really, you know, he hasn't really shown up. And despite not showing up, 
I've still been aware of him, but I've thought, you know, because he's not really actively playing, it's just it just feels that that bit more unlikely that Liverpool are going to target this player. But uh, mm. we obviously seem to be. I mean, it's, I think this is probably one of the reasons why Liverpool was so keen to avoid buying a centre back in January, because you have you've obviously got the two Leipzig lads, uh, Canate and Apamecano. I think they were Liverpool's first and second choice for the centre back role this summer. Obviously, Apamecano signed for Bayern, uh, but you you were not going to get either of those two in the January window. Um, hence why we're moving now for for Canate in the summer. But yeah, I think I was most surprised by by the fact he's been injured, Dave. Um, I'm sure you've read about it. It's probably been the main, uh, let's say, weakness, maybe criticism attached to to any potential deal because he's missed a fair few matches. Yeah, and uh, when I referenced the the red flags, that that was the main one. Uh, I think this season maybe he's played. Just over 500 minutes. Um, I did have a look, brief look at his injury history. Um, you know, ankle injury from December to February, uh, hip injury from June last year to October, um, leg injury that kept him out from October 19 to to May 20. I think there was a, a some sort of Twitter thread that a lot of listeners or viewers might have seen where someone tried to. Uh, almost caveat these injuries. I'll be honest, I didn't bother reading it. Um, nothing against the person. I just, I just skipped past it. Uh, so there may be, you know, reasons behind these in, injuries, and it may, may be a case that they're not as bad as it seems. But yeah, and, and when you talk about the risk that you you mentioned, it, from that perspective, it, it it there does seem to be a little bit of a gamble there. Now, I don't know, maybe. You know the, the heads that Liverpool have got together and said, looked at these injuries and thought that they were kind of um, isolated and they weren't going to be recurring issues. And as a result, you know, the the prospects are good uh, long term for him to be a reliable centre back, um, and that might be the case. You know, they've got better resources than what, what we have. But you've already touched on. I think that's that's the one of the main reasons that uh, we didn't talk about him because. Is uh, although the sample size is small, you know his underlying numbers are are good. Like he looks really good in the air. He's dominant on the floor. You know he's a he's good in possession and things. But that that is one of the reasons why he he wasn't really someone that we we went into too much detail with because on the surface at least you probably think Liverpool might might not gamble on him in the way that it looks like they're going to. Yeah, I mean it, maybe it would have come into it a little bit more if it was a different position. But I think, given the problems Liverpool have encountered specifically this year, I'm quite surprised that when searching for this new centre-back, um, you know, time on the pitch hasn't been weighted really highly in the decision-making process. I thought it would be simply because of what's happened this season to the likes of Gomez and Matip. I know Van, D- Van Dijk's never injured, so that, that's a bit of a different one, that one. But I think specifically Gomez and Matip, I just thought Liverpool would target a player who is is never injured, really. Um, and I do think a few important points have been made, though, of, regarding Canate. I do think there's a difference. I think I'm glad some people pointed it out. I do think there's a difference between a player getting bad injuries and a player being injury-prone. I think Joel Massup's very clearly injury-prone, for example. He just picks up knocks, has to miss games as a result. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. It's... It's quite weird almost. Daniel Sturridge was the same. Um, they're the two players off the top of my head. I think Daniel Lager was a little bit in that mould. 
I think the, on, a, on a different side, I don't think players who get big injuries are, are injury prone. Like I'm thinking maybe, I don't know if this is entirely fair, but maybe an ox. I mean, ox doesn't pick up that many injuries, does he? He just gets big, massive ones that keep him out for months on end. Um, and I'm not sure what Canate is at the moment. Obviously, he's only 21. And I think Liverpool are betting on on it just being a bit of an unlucky problematic period rather than it being an indicator of future injuries that are going to prevent him from being on the pitch. But, you know, aside from the injuries, obviously we have to look why Liverpool have bought him. And the main reason Liverpool have bought him is because he has, in my opinion, an incredibly high ceiling. I think given he's 21, I'm thinking by the age of 26, he could be a a real, real centre-back in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, you know, his ceiling is really high. Um, I said it's 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 hard because you you're trying to use numbers to compare them. I mean, it's quite hard using data to compare defenders on in normal circumstances, but it's a little bit harder because you can't compare them to you know players who've played three or four times more minutes. Uh, you know, over the over say the last twelve months. But I did see over the last twelve months, he's got something like the second highest aerial dual success rate. Um, for all central defenders across Europe's big five leagues, um, age twenty four and under. So you know that that's a, that's an indicator of, of 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 just one of the things that's so appealing about him. Um, and yeah, you know I think he can go on to be a really big player. It's just it's just providing that these are kind of one off injuries, you know, not recurring issues. Um, it does make me think though, Josh. I, I wonder if. Maybe, I don't want to do him a disservice, but maybe he might not have been the first choice. Uh, I wonder if maybe like Meccano, who obviously did you, has gone to Bayern. I wonder if maybe he could have, you know, another Leipzig defender, uh, more of a known quantity, quantity, probably say, because he's played a lot more minutes. I wonder if maybe he could have been the first choice. Obviously, he's opted to go to stay in Germany uh, and maybe Liverpool worked their way down the list a little bit and identified and identified him as the next the next best target. I th- I think he might have been second. Uh, I think the only player above him will have been upon Meccano, I think. But I think that offers a bit of a segue into comparing these players maybe. Um because I I when I tweeted yesterday about the whole Liverpool Red Bull link I think I got three three comments to the tweet just asking me what how did you compare to Botman? How did you compare to Coletta Carr and, and, and these players and stuff? And it was kind of difficult to capture that in a tweet. But I do think, you know, each player's got different strengths and weaknesses. Like for for example, I think Canate's really good in the air. Obviously you've touched on that one. I'll get his numbers up in a sec. Um he's also really good one v one which I think is very important for Liverpool defender. Obviously, we've seen this season, you know, without Van Dijk. When you've got players who are centre-backs in particular who are really good 1v1, you can just commit more bodies forward. So if you're an an attacking team, if you've got attacking running through your veins, then you need centre-backs who can cope on their own, who can manage, say, for example, a Nicolas Pepe on his own or a Wilfred Zaha on his own, like Van Dijk can. So that's that's a really really important trait for Liverpool centre back to have, and I think Canate certainly has that. He's got all the dominant figures 
uh, dominant traits that you kind of need on your side as a centre back in terms of, you know, he's really physically imposing around six foot four. He's also quite quick across the ground. His acceleration isn't the quickest, but that's not always the case anyway with centre back. But his top speed, I think, is good. Um, it's not far from, you know, the likes of Van Dyke and Gomez. So I can't see him encountering many issues from, from a high line perspective. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. But I think specifically in relation to Pamacano and Botman as well, I think he's he's maybe a bit less comfortable or le- less good on the ball, less progressive on the ball. Maybe let's say I think he's a, he's a tiny bit more awkward, a little bit more inclined to play simple, um, and that's not a bad thing. You know, you're next to Van Dijk, who, who's got that in his armory, and you've got you next to Trent as well. I suppose who's also got that in his armory, so. It's not that big of a problem, but I think it's interesting that of, of the players that Liverpool have been linked with, of the centre-backs we've mentioned and stuff, Canate is probably outside the top three for his actual ability on the ball, in my opinion. But he makes up for that on the on the defensive side, which Liverpool have clearly wasted a little bit more. Mm. When you're just on, on, on the possession thing, uh, do you mean in terms of his actual ability or more like his... Um... His decisions or the way in which he can, like, you know, ping balls into the final third, for example. No, I think his decisions are fine. I think he's he's quite a a decent decision maker, but I think he's he's just in, more inclined to. Would you say he's limited? Um, I think he plays like he is, but I'm not sure. Do you know what I mean? I, w- I wouldn't say he's like he's bad on the ball by any means, or or lacks yeah, confidence yeah. or anything. But I think. You know those line breaking passes that centre backs play every now and then. Mm. Um, Sven Botman plays a lot of them. Upamecano plays a fair amount. Canate doesn't. Um, mm. I'll get up the numbers now, just as you speak, just to prove me point. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. it's on a you know. Mm. Yeah, all I was gonna, yeah all I was going to say was um, I was just curious whether you thought of maybe it was like a, a lack of technical ability to do that, or maybe just um, decisions. To do that because I uh, I agree he seems to play a lot more passes shorter uh, you know five or ten yards sideways maybe into the likes of Meccano who then have that responsibility to be a little bit more penetrative uh, but I'm just wondering maybe that could could be more of a tactics thing uh, you know if, if there's someone who's just better in the defence to do it then you know he does, does not really that responsibility on him to do it Um but that would be the same at Liverpool, really, wouldn't he say? If you were playing with like a Van Dijk, uh, you don't really need... Well, you've already touched on it, actually. You, you don't really need that response. You don't need to take on that responsibility when you've got two fantastic ball players either side in the defence. Uh, so as long as you can just be relied upon um, to be consistent in possession, you know, with the short passes, don't do anything sloppy, don't make any mistakes. You know, kind of like... I don't want to sound like I'm doing them a disservice, but sometimes it felt like there was an uneasiness when Lovren was was in possession in the defence, and you know there was a there was a mistake that could be there, um, which is it, it is not good. Even if you you're flanked by the likes of Alexander Arnold and and Van Dijk, and I think if 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 you've got a player you know you can just rely on to do the basics really well, then you know in in itself that's an appealing. Uh, Faster to have, yeah. Um, so just just to prove my point, I've I've got up a little sample here, a little comparison 
of Upamecano, Botman, Van Dyke, Gomez, Matip, and Canate. Um, and this is dating back from now until 2018 um, in league matches only, with the exception of Botman. With Botman's numbers, I've used only this season because this is the first season he's had in a European top five league. So we don't really have the numbers sometimes for you know the Dutch headed VC and, and things like that. So his numbers might be a tiny bit flawed because he's played fewer. Um, mind you, he hasn't really looking at the, the minutes there. He's played not far off Massive. He's played about four full games fewer than Massive in that time. So it's not that um, unfair. So in terms of progressive passes per 90, so a progressive pass is just a completed pass that moves the ball towards the opponent's goal at least 10 yards from its furthest point in the last six passes. Canati uh, ranks bottom of that. The Pamacano top, followed by Botman, then Van Dijk, then Gomez, and then Matup. Um, having said that, obviously we know Matup is really good on the ball. So Matup ranks second bottom there for that one. Matup's more of a carrier. And in terms of carries, let's have a look at this one, see what this one's showing up. So in terms of progressive carries, yeah, he's bottom again. Um, so again, he's but Massive is top for that one, for carries. Mm-hmm. So we obviously know Massive's inclined to just go on these big, mazy runs. Um, so I think what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at is, I think in possession specifically, Canati is just a bit more, just a bit safer, just a bit less elaborate. Um and I think his main perks come in defence, which is quite traditional, I suppose, for a centre-back. And mm. he, he will naturally, he should naturally allow Liverpool to just get more bodies forward and attack more because of his 1v1 ability and his aerial duels. Um, looking at his aerial duels, actually, I'll, I'll compare the same players in, in the aerial department. Uh, Van Dijk top, no surprise. Um, in that period, despite contesting the most, Aerial duels out of all the players I've just mentioned. Van Dijk has won 80.3% of mm-hmm. those. Um, and then pretty much joint second is Matip and Canate. So uh, since 2018, Canate has been about as good in the air as Matip has. And Matip's incredibly good in the air, in my opinion. Yeah, he is good, yeah. yeah. Uh, for a bit of perspective on that, Joe Gomez is bottom with a success rate of about 59.9%. Then Botman, then Apamecano. So, as I said, Canate, 77.4% win rate. Um, mm-hmm. Only only about 3% off Van Dijk's average. So, that's certainly a big strength of his. Um, and it's one that we're obviously going to be able to use, not only in defence, but attacking set pieces, which Liverpool have lacked a little bit this season, Dave. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's you know... It, 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 for any central defender, it, it's important to be good in the air. But I do feel like at Liverpool, especially, it's uh, it, it's really key, you know, because of that notorious high line that gets played. Um, you know, you need to be aerial dominant against opposition attackers, especially if the only out ball is to try and go long. You've got to have the obviously pace to get covering behind, but also win that initial header when possible. Uh, Gomez always hasn't been. Uh, the best at that, shall we say? So if you if you can introduce someone who's you know as good as Matip, Matip's, Matip's always been good in that role, and Matip is, is a is a really good defender. He's a great partner for for Van Dijk. He just 
you know, he, he, he unfortunately can't stay fit and, and probably never will be someone who doesn't break down often. But you can kind of inject someone with a similar ability, especially in the air, um, who's obviously got a really high ceiling, miles off his prime years at the moment. Um, then it's easy to see why the appeal's there. And as I said, aerial dominance is really big for Liverpool central defenders. And for him to be showing up well, that's that's almost guaranteed to be one of the key reasons why why Liverpool like him. Yeah. As I said, he, picked, he, he ticked the majority of the boxes. I've went over those boxes plenty of times in this podcast, considering Liverpool have needed a centre-back for quite a while now. But, you know, just, m- most of them he ticks. Again, he's only 21 years old, six foot four, quick across the ground, good in the air, offer a threat from set pieces, can defend 1v1. One one one. And I, w- I will say as well, in comparison to Sven Botman, who I, suggest, who I put forward, I think, in November as a name, one thing he didn't have on his side was his 1v1 stuff. Uh, not bad, but um, a little bit less mobile. You know when you know when you've got a, a player who's good at changing direction quickly? Yeah. I think if you change direc- direction quickly in Botman's vicinity, it's kind of like moving a Coke machine. <laughs> it's like moving a fridge when he's trying to turn, mm-hmm. um, which isn't great, obviously, when you're coming into the Premier League. Can I say yeah. I think Coke's a little bit better than that department? Yeah. Um, I have to admit, I'll show you just quickly. I watched a little bit of Botman uh, uh, on international duty um, a few days ago, and it wasn't the best performance. Like, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's still here. How old is he? 20, 21? Something yeah, like that. something like that. Or 20, 21, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the positive. All of these players are still very young, but I think specifically oh, yeah, just in 10, terms 21. Yeah, so, I think yeah. specifically in terms of Kanata, he just looks. Ahead of his age, really, you, you you would probably guess he's about twenty five, but he's obviously not. And I think the thing it thing with that as well, despite Canate being twenty one and Liverpool signing him technically for the future, crucially he's also good enough to contribute immediately and not look like he's completely out of place. Say for example, you know certain players you sign before they reach the peak, and they're just not ready. And they've got plenty of learning curves to experience, plenty of mistakes to make before they reach that level. Say, for example, Mo Salah, when Salah came to Chelsea, he weren't really ready to, to move Willian out there, start 11, or Hazard out there, start 11. He ends mm-hmm. up going to Italy for a few seasons, comes back as a man. Um, he actually used those words, he described himself as a man when he returned. And then Liverpool get the best out of him. So, you know, I, I do usually think Liverpool should sign players in the peak. But I think at the same time, if, if you can get a player who's clearly ahead of his years while being good enough now, I think it's worth doing. Um, just another little note there on his, on his, his passing range, his technical stuff, uh, switches. So a switch is a pass that travels more than 40 yards of the width of the pitch of the same centre-backs. We know it's top, Dave, don't we? <laughs> it's obviously Van Dijk. Um, them diagonal passes are Part of his armory. Second yeah, is Gomez. Second is Gomez. I didn't know Go Gomez would be that high, to be honest. No, I didn't. I didn't. Mm. He's a, second is Gomez. Third is a Pamacano. Fourth is Matip. Fifth is Botman. And again, bottom is Canate. So, yeah, I, I think we're just stressing. I'm not trying to say he's bad. I'm just stressing, you know, don't be expecting fireworks on the ball like we like we, maybe we get with Van Dyke. I think he's, he's predominantly going to be 
a, a real defensive presence who's going to come into his own, I suppose, on the attacking side when Liverpool have a set piece. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure there's any any more to add on that one, Dave. Um, I mean, no, I've not... seen Liverpool... Go on. I was going to say, I've seen Liverpool link with... Um, I've seen a few people suggest that he's part of a, a shortlist still, and that shortlist consists of, um, I think, Ben White's on it. Uh, Kagla Soyuncu from Leicester is also on it. Um, and Coletta Carr, obviously, who, who we mentioned a while back and who Liverpool apparently tried to sign in January. Um, in comparison to them, you know, would you say Liverpool should go for Canate or...? Look, uh, yeah, look, as I said, I think there's loads to like about Canate. Uh, and I can definitely see the appeal. You know, we've just spoke for 20 minutes about it. Uh, the only slight concern that I, I do have is the same as everyone else, just whether, you know, these injuries are going to be issues long term or if they're just, uh, it's just being really bad luck. Uh, but I guess, as I said, Liverpool have definitely looked into that and they've obviously uh, got of the opinion that it has just been a little bit of bad luck. So on that basis, um, I mean, look, at any, I'd say, at least three of the names you've you've just mentioned there would be appealing from a Liverpool perspective. Uh, but I think they've I think they've done well here if they get this one over the line. One thing I should mention as well, I was quite surprised. Might have just been my feed at the time, but I was quite surprised that when Canate when the Canate news came out, a lot of people seemed concerned about what now happens regarding Kabach. Mm-hmm. Um and although I think he's been better in recent weeks, I was a little bit harsh on him early on, I think. <laughs> um, although he's been better in recent weeks, I still would not really be bothered if Liverpool didn't keep him on a permanent basis. I don't know if I'm just I'm just more low on him than the majority of supporters, but he looks okay, but I, th- I think he's a, he's maybe a year younger than, than Canate. He might even be the same age now. Same think, age now, yeah. Yeah, well... I think, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought he looked a little bit shaky initially. Um, although I, I'm, I was trying to picture whether he just performed at a fairly average level and was involved in two kind of, well, what he was involved in the high profile error, wasn't he, where him and Alison at the cock up at Leicester. Um, I, I've referenced this a few times, I know it wasn't much, but I always. I thought he looked really shaky at the start of the derby where he put that the ball out for a corner from the kickoff. Uh, and that's, that might seem so harsh, but it's just always stayed in my mind. Um, but I think since then he's really settled in and you know he's he's opened the door for Klopp to do things like play Fabinho back in midfield. You know, Ben Davis hasn't even had a look in, hasn't been able to get on the pitch. So that's a testament to how he's performed. But I am with you where I'm like, you know, I haven't really been blown away. I mean, it, it seems like a lot of the Liverpool fan base have been talking more about Phillips than than Kabach, uh, performance wise. So, so yeah, let's let's see. I mean, the thing is, it's only eighteen million, isn't it, to, to sign him? Uh, yeah. So, it, you know, it's not a lot of money for a player who's young, who, who who again could have a really high ceiling. So, if he if he performs really well from now until the end of the season, then then you know maybe maybe. Push the button on that one. Yeah, I think on that one for me, I I just think, and you can call me harsh and stuff, but I I just think Liverpool can maybe do better. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking that. To be honest, I think I've I've said this plenty of time. Liverpool, top of the future, need to be targeting the best players who are ready. 
And although I've just said Canati's roughly the same age at the minute as, as Kabak, maybe a few months older, I think the difference is Canate is at a point of his career, point of development, whereby he, he can perform regularly now without having to experience loads of learning curves. And I think I feel like in Kabak, in, in Kabak's camp, um, although I feel like he's definitely ahead of the majority of centre-backs his age, I feel like if Liverpool was to keep him, those mistakes and lessons that he'd have to learn would experience on Liverpool's behalf and he'd maybe cost us a point here and there every now and then. Um, and I just think, I think Liverpool can do better than that. I think Liverpool can aim for players who are just primed, players who are just, yeah. you know, ready. You'd basically prefer, you know, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but you'd probably prefer for the player like that to go and fine-tune his game elsewhere, become mm. that player that his potential ceiling indicates, uh, and then sign him then, where he's like yeah. the finished article. Exactly. People would argue yeah. then you're paying more money and stuff. Yes, we're paying more money. But all the points that we might have lost while he was learning, someone else has lost. He, he's cost someone else results, and now he's coming to Liverpool when he's ready. Like I've seen, I've seen people mention it regarding Van Dijk. Why didn't Liverpool go and get Van Dijk when he was at Celtic? There will have been a reason why Liverpool didn't go and get Van Dijk when he was at Celtic, and they got him now because he's now at the prime, at the peak of his career. All them lessons in the past have been learned. He's now just gonna. He's now ready to win every week without yeah. costing any points and stuff. The thing with uh, Van Dijk as well, like people kind of say he's always been as good as he has. And, you know, people roll out like com- compilation clips where he's like, you know, ahead and every, uh, you know, the ones, don't you, that are uh, very favourable and stuff. Now, I think he, he has been a top defender for a while, but, um, you know, he, I remember the likes of, I, I remember Everton looking at him when he was at Celtic and people not being convinced and one or two other like, kind of like, lower to mid-table Premier League sides being linked with them as well you know like say a Palace West Ham those type of clubs and obviously he ends up going to Southampton doesn't he um, so yeah I agree I think he, he maybe just wasn't ready to come in and have the impact he's, he's had because now you can look back on that transfer and say yeah okay it was expensive but it was perfect really you know besides the injury which has nothing to do with the transfer that transfer played out perfectly yeah that's it Um I don't want to be too harsh. I think he's fine. I think he's okay in that. He's going to have a good career. He can reach a solid level. But I just think the level that Liverpool need right now, all the time, at at a bare minimum, I think he might occasionally fall short of and cost, cost Liverpool a few points. But I don't want to, I don't want to um, stay on that one too long anyway because, as I said, I don't really mind him too much. I just think Liverpool can maybe do a little bit better, hence the capture of, of Canate or the, the, imp- the impending capture of Canate, let's say. Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We'll move on anyway to the next fixture, Dave. Uh, Liverpool have got Arsenal. Mm. Um, the, the the team that our, our producer uh, supports, so I'm sure he'll be listening. I'm sure he'll be yeah. keen to know what I've got to say. Dave, thoughts on Arsenal? Terrible side, hate them. Rubbish. <laughs> 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 uh, no, you know what? Uh, I'd, I'd probably say an improving side. Um, I mean, I haven't looked at the table in a long time. So the ninth at the moment. Um, but yeah, they've improved. They've lost one. 
the last six, you know, I'm sure we'll get onto the underlying numbers shortly, but just in terms of results, lost one of the last six, and that came against uh, Manchester City. It was only a one nil defeat. You know, there's no shame in that. But some decent wins on that time. Beat Le- uh, Leeds, beat Leicester, beat Tottenham. Uh, I have to say, Josh, the last game before the international break against West Ham, I know they started really bad, three nil down after half an hour or whatever it was, but. That last hour of the match, I thought Arsenal were really good, uh, really strong, playing some good stuff. Odegaard was the best I've I've ever seen him play personally. Um, yeah, they just look like a, a team that's slowly improving uh, under Arteta. So probably not a great opponent to have on paper next, even though you'd still back Liverpool. It's interesting that you mentioned Odegaard there, actually, because he, he was one of the players who, I can't remember what, what the episode specifically was, I can't remember why we were flagging these random scouting targets, but I just remember mentioning Odegaard and saying, like, you know, Liverpool were linked with him when he was 16, he still hasn't gone away, he's still very much there, and obviously he's came to Arsenal, he seems to be doing quite well at the minute. A few people have asked me, you know, whether you'd take him at Liverpool and stuff, I'm not sure about that one, I don't think I would at the minute. Nevertheless, though, he's clearly performing very well. And he's very inclined to to put his teammates in scoring positions, which is really, really valuable. But I think to avoid that from happening, Liverpool kind of need to keep him away from the final third, if possible. I saw a few videos on Twitter from people that I follow, um, tactical heads, who uh, kind of picked up on how Odegaard, if he's receiving the ball in his own half and kind of building from the back, he's a little bit less inclined to make optimal decisions, really. Um, he's more dangerous high, higher up the field and stuff so I think he, he came into his own against West Ham later in the game when obviously West Ham had just receded into a block and were kind of holding the lead but I think maybe in different match scenarios he's not as effective and I think Liverpool needs to avoid that sort of thing from happening and needs to kind mm-hmm. of be on the front foot but I think in terms of Arsenal yeah if you look at the numbers over the past few seasons I don't, I don't think you'd notice too much of a difference at the minute. It looks kind of like not that much has changed. Um, you know, across the board, they're still kind of just okay and they're still kind of just a, a very mid-table side. If you look at the, the non-penalty expected goals per match, eighth. Uh, shots per match, ninth. And then on the defensive side, non-penalty expected goals against per match is 11th and shots against is 10th. So they are very much in and around that. But I still nevertheless I still think that just looking at the team and you know what our tests are trying to do, I still think they look well coached. I do think that they're a product though, Dave, of um you're only as good as your players for me. I think you know, Arteta's players cost cost him results a lot of the time without him really doing anything wrong. Mm. Yeah, well you think if the more high-profile ones, you know, mistakes, things like the Xhaka one, playing out from the back. Uh, I think Louise is on the whole actually a really good defender, but he's normally capable of one or two mistakes. And uh, normally, I think when you're trying to implement a, a philosophy like Arsenal's under Arteta, where it's all about uh, getting the ball down, playing, being brave, I think it's fantastic when it comes off. But it's it carries a lot of risk, doesn't it? And you tend to be punished when it goes wrong in, in the Premier League and that's happened a few times. Um, one thing I would say on the underlying numbers is we can we can kind of isolate them to an extent, certainly with the underlying stuff, 
uh, using like Understack, can't we? It's a little bit more difficult using other data providers to do that. But I think, you know, pretty much since the turn of the year, they've been a, a better side. Uh, I think they're still kind of in the in the underlying numbers being punished a little bit by how poor they were, you know, in the months before Christmas. Uh, I think they have improved a little bit since then. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure if you realised, um, but it it seems to have like literally coincided with the formation change. As soon as soon as the formation change happened, the results turned a little bit. Like they went, they went face Burnley, got beat one nil. Face Southampton, one all. Face Everton, got beat two one. Face Man City, got beat four one. And that was all with three at the back. In mm. fact, the Burnley defeat. Actually, wasn't the Burnley defeat was different, but they they were all three at the back really, and then he moves to four two three one on Boxing Day, beat Chelsea three one, then beat Brighton, then beat West Brom, then beat Newcastle, through with Palace, beat Newcastle again, so, and I think he he he's, he's stuck with four two three one since Boxing Day, up until now, and mm. it just seems to have turned things a little bit. And if he was able to separate the numbers purely since Boxing Day. I do think they showed some kind of development that uh, that where Arteta's starting to build something now. It's just the season as a whole because half of it consisted of much of what came before. Really, you don't really see it. And you probably won't see it until next season. Yeah, yeah. Just as we were talking, then I just had a quick look at something really basic. You know, under stats expected points um, table from first of January, and they're in the top six on that. Um, what, no, what, what, what would it be till till uh, since Christmas Day? Uh, since Christmas Day, yeah, top four. Yeah, see, that's that's mm. since the formation change, so it's quite interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, I, I, I was of the opinion that they, they maybe went to that back three to offer a bit more protection to the centre back, who I don't think he particularly rated, uh, you know, as a two. Uh, thought he'd be better with the three, but yeah, as you've just highlighted, well, uh, it's it feels like he's he's changed it and it's and it's a system that's working. So I said they're a different team now to what they were, and they obviously they just look a little bit more threatening in, in attacking areas as well. In, in that period where they were poor, these look so bad going forward. I feel like they weren't getting the best out of the the more flair creative players, you know. Like Saka, who's proven himself to be really good, he was shackled a little bit. Now you've got like Saka performing well. You've got Smith Rowe. I think Lacazette's continuing to find the back of the net. I had a talk. Funny enough, I spoke to Guy, um, our producer, about Lacazette, and he has this perception of uh, of not really being much of a kind of goal scorer, and it's it's everything he does off the ball, and you know how he links play. But his his, his record's actually good in front of goal. He's like every year he's been in the Premier League, he's he's netted more than 10 league goals across a campaign. Um, and he is quite a consistent scorer. And again, he's kind of producing the goals, you know, for, for Arsenal at, at this moment in time. He's on a good run. So um, he could be a problem. Yeah, just, just touching on the, the whole back three thing, you mentioned there that it was, it was for protection purposes and stuff. I also think that, you know, one of the perceptions with the back three is that, you know, obviously with Arteta likely to be a, an advocate of uh, positional play in, in the Pep Guardiola mould, along with Thomas Tuchel as well. I think it's interesting that Tuchel, Guardiola, when he first came to City, really, and Arteta at Arsenal, they all kind of used back three 
uh, back to the at the very start of their tenures. And it was kind of because, um, you know, if, you, if you're adopting the principles of, of positional play, whereby each player takes up the, a, a different vertical zone sort of thing, and you haven't really got clogged areas and stuff like that, a, a back five slash three, whatever you want to call it, kind of just makes that the case regardless regardless of players having to consciously think. You know, you've already got a back five, but those five players occupying a different vertical line, and it just kind of works from there. So I think a back three tends to be viewed as like a bit of a short, an early shortcut to just get a, get your players playing in a certain way regarding positional aspects and stuff like that. Um, and then Arteta's obviously moved away, but one, one of the issues that that did have on, on Arsenal early on, you mentioned there, you know, the attack was very stale. They just weren't shooting enough and stuff. And I've got to take up here now up until, up until Christmas Day. So from the start of the season till Christmas Day. And Arsenal are ahead of only Sheffield United, Burnley and West Brom for goals scored. They had only scored 12 by Christmas Day. A um, little bit higher for expected goals, about 15th, maybe 14th. But I think, you know, just dropping that additional defender and dropping William as well seems to be a bit of a ploy. You know, <laughs> I've, I've said before, William, uh, William's a good player. William's got attacking, t- attacking qualities, but he's a bit like a Wobie, in my opinion, Dave. I've said this before, haven't I? I think in terms of you think he's an attacker, but if you actually put him in your attack in a final third position, he he won't score or assist. He, he won't do it. Um, yeah, his output just isn't there. Yeah, his output isn't there. Aside, aside from set pieces, in Williams' case, he, he won't actually score or assist an open play very much. And that's that's kind of what you need for me, for me from an attacker, from a player mm. who, whose designated position is in the final third. You need him to deliver something. So as soon as I said to drop William, brought in Smith Vow, and you know dropped the back five and stuff, Arsenal turned around a little bit. So from a Liverpool perspective. I think this could be tough. I'm not really sure what exactly what to expect, to be honest. Yeah, well, I assume it's going to be a case of maybe just the usual where teams can sit in a little bit and then Arsenal try and, you know, because they scored a really good goal in the last time on the counter-attack, playing out from the back and beating Liverpool's press. Maybe they try and adapt uh, similar tactics in this one again I don't know it is a really tough game because not only have we had this international break but I think Liverpool it feels like Liverpool haven't played for ages uh, you know that, that Leipzig game feels a long time ago I actually can't remember what Liverpool's last Premier League game was what was it? <laughs> um, I'm not uh, sure it's, it's left my head as well now that you've said that what, if, if, uh, uh, it's completely this, gone. This is our oh, wolves. Wolves. Oh, yeah. Is it? yeah. See, uh, one, one thing though with with this time that Liverpool have had without a game, you know, obviously coming into that Wolves game, Klopp had stuck with the same team, I think, two games in a row, certainly the same centre back pair in two games in a row. And if after realising that, okay, I'm sticking with this now for the rest of the season, Fabinho stays in midfield, Phillips plays alongside Kabach, Liverpool have now had um you know, three weeks to kind of work on that. Three weeks to to get that drilled into. So I feel like the Liverpool that we're going to see from now until the end of the season, 
I think he's going to be a bit more consistent, specifically when it comes to the lineups every week at least. Um, mm. And I actually think it could be a bit of a, a turned corner, whereby we see a bit of consistency from Liverpool. Obviously, Joss is back for me, no supposed to be back. Um, so I'd like to see a bit of a rejuvenated Liverpool with a constant back line from down to the end of the season. I do. I did hear rumours as well. I won't say where from, but you know the training game that took mm. place at three all a couple of weeks ago, the in-house yeah. one. In rumours that there was, um, they were, that, that game was almost a trial for um, a few different kind of behaviours in and out of possession. Uh, I just wonder whether, just with you alluding to it there, you know, this is the first chance that you know Klopp and his staff have probably had a chance to actually coach the team, yeah. which sounds ludicrous, but. You know, think how many games have people been having over the season, just relentless, non-stop. Uh, you know, you kind of you're doing the post-mortem from one, and then you you're then prepping for the other. Uh, so it, there isn't that much coaching time. I do just wonder whether we're going to see a few little adaptations between now and the end of the season, uh, which may produce more consistent, better results, especially with the team probably going to be more settled, unless they get a bout of ridiculous injuries again. <laughs> Uh, which, you know, you think, given the season, he bad, surely not. No, I agree. I'll, I'll be looking for some of these little alterations when we when we face Arsenal, to be honest, because I, I expect Liverpool to have worked on something that they haven't had the time previously to work on during this mm. three-week period, so it'll be interesting to see if anything happens. Mm. In terms of predictions, Dave, for this one, who are you going with? Yeah, I am going for uh, a Liverpool win. I'd love, I'd love to back Guy, who will be hoping that maybe we'll give him something, but I just think... You might see it. I think you're going to see a stronger Liverpool between now and the end of the season. So, yeah, I'll go with a, I'll go with a two-one. You know, a tight game, but one that Liverpool come out on top. Yeah, I'm also going to say two-one. I think this will be a tough game, and I don't think Arsenal will roll over by any means. I expect Arsenal to be really competitive. My two-one stems from, I just think Liverpool will turn a corner from now until the end of the season. I think this three-week break will have benefited everybody. And yeah, I think that's that's where my my results coming from. Really, I think Liverpool will be ready for this one, and looking mm. forward to what's what's next. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. In terms of Real Madrid, mm. we haven't actually spoke, have we, about the uh, the Champions League draw, Dave? So uh, we have not. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know, I thought it was, despite the uh, the big name that Real Madrid are, I actually thought it was a fairly decent draw, all things considered, for, for Liverpool. I actually don't know if I'm, I've gone from that period to now thinking, are we underestimating Liverpool, uh, Real Madrid a little bit here? Because it's kind of like, oh, you know, this is a good draw for Liverpool. And at the end of the day, it's still Real Madrid. They've got really good players. But... You know, rewind to the moment that the draw was made. I thought it was a fairly decent draw, all things considered. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. I was I was scared of getting certain teams, to be honest, because uh, Liverpool's vulnerability to certain moments and certain qualities in particular has been problematic of late. I'm thinking specifically the way Timo Werner just exploited the high line so easily and stuff and it was just so naive from a Liverpool perspective I was just thinking if we face a, for, a quick forward line here we're going to get done we're going to get mm. shown up and I was looking at Bayern's front line you know, they've got Sane they've got Nabry I was looking at PSG they've got 
obviously they've got Mbappe, Neymar. Um, Chelsea have got Werner, obviously, and yeah. Pulisic and Hudson Odoi and players like that. City have got Sterling, I suppose. Um, and even Dortmund, Dortmund had Haaland, and yeah. Liverpool's the heart of Liverpool's defence is the weakest part of the minute. So I think out of all teams Liverpool could have faced, I don't think Real Madrid was a bad draw at all. Um, and I think specifically avoiding City, PSG, and Bayern until at least the final. Again, you can't really complain. Um, yeah. It's in, in terms of Real Madrid, I do think they're kind of being underrated a little bit. They're obviously not a bad team as Real Madrid, no. and the team that won the treble or whatever a few years back in terms of consistent year year on year, it's still largely that team, but they've just aged a bit, and they've obviously lost Cristiano. But it's still a crux of a gang of um, absolute top players. Yeah, yeah, you know, you think if you think they've got, I think they're a really good technical side, aren't they? Real Madrid, they've got loads of good technical midfielders, and uh, they got a, the likes of Ramos, who's really strong defensively. Even though I think he can be a little bit underrated sometimes, um, and then Benzema, who's just in elite form at the moment, considering he's thirty-three. Um, he's you know I had a look this morning he scored 17 in their league goals this season I think no no other player scored more than 5 so it just shows you know he's kind of he's just on fire for them Uh, he's also setting them up as well and at 33 that's crazy and I was thinking maybe that uh, that blackmail scandal he got involved in 5 years ago uh, that kind of lost him his place in the French national team has maybe done them a favour. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because he's almost in the... He's always been a great player, but he's in... He's the next level at the moment. Yeah. I mean, looking at Real Madrid as a team, they do seem a little bit reliant on Benzema and attack. Because um, I think some of the other players around them are just a bit less... They're a bit further away from the prime, I think. Um, looking at this season in terms of the, the scoring numbers... In terms of goals, minus penalties, per 90. Top, unsurprisingly, is Lionel Messi. Second is, I think, a lad that you was asked a question about on last week's Q&A, uh, Yusuf El Nesri. Yeah, um, and then, yeah, and then third, Luis Suarez, and Atletico Madrid. And then fourth is Benzema. Funny enough, fifth is Alexander Isaac. I'm not sure if you've flagged him recently. Oh. Yeah, we yeah saw it awesome, didn't we? Uh, yeah, said he was a potential could be a potential option for Liverpool. Uh, yeah, but uh, Benzema is obviously going to be a threat for for, for Kabach and and Phillips if they if they had the two players who were going to play. Obviously, Benzema is a seasoned performer. He's won the Champions League and stuff. Kabach is twenty one, um, still learning the game and stuff. And Phillips is just not supposed to be playing at this level, really. Uh, mm. So that's that's going to be a bit of a problematic area, and I think specifically. The likes of Modric and Cruz, although they're getting on a little bit, specifically in Modric's department, they're just difficult to pressurise and to mm. they're difficult to. Um, you can't. You, they're unflappable. I think it's probably the best way of putting it. So in terms of Liverpool pressurising them and winning the ball and stuff, they've just got ways out, um, and that's that's going to be. Something Liverpool's press will have to will have to manage carefully. But I wrote a piece shortly after the draw on um Real Madrid's tendency to kind of play a horizontal game um and how that benefits Liverpool and the spacing behind Liverpool. 
because I think when we're specifically kind of a controlling team, it's very side to side, um, lots of switches of play, and the overall game, the overall tempo of Wembley's game is just quite slow. Even without mm. the ball, they're not like a very aggressive team without the ball. I get the numbers up in a sec, but they almost playing away that isn't really associated with a specific identity. It's just kind of, do you see what I mean? It's kind of it's like a, a team teams from a few years ago, maybe. Yeah, well, yeah, it's 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 not that. Although they mainly play like a four three three, don't they? But it's not it's not like a Liverpool four three three. I think it it ties in a little bit with what I was saying that you've got really good technical players. So, you know, they can play a lot of nice football, they can. And, you know, you said you're going to bring the numbers up, so I'll leave that door open for you. But, you know, they move the ball across the pitch very nicely. But there's there's not a lot of players who are kind of, you're back to have that ferocious kind of run at you, cause a bit of mayhem. Now, I, I think Vinicius was meant to be that, wasn't he? But it, it hasn't quite happened for them. They've got Eden Hazard, who, who just can't seem to settle in there and stay fit. So the, those kind of players that you'd expect to bring that to the team, it's it's not really there. Like they, they, they're still giving game time to the likes of Isco, who's again another really good technical player, a bit like a James Rodriguez type, where really got it on on the ball, can play a wide range of really nice penetrating passes. But there's just no one who does not like say, and no wonder they're always getting linked with him. There's not like say a Salah who can just pick the ball up and. And dribble at plays and just unsettle things and you know shoot from miles out and you know just make things happen. It doesn't feel like they've got that aggressive personality. Yeah, I mean one of the reasons I think they're a little bit more old school in a way. If you know if you see what I'm saying, I mean lack an identity and stuff. Specifically without the ball, we we are used to the top teams in the modern day being really intense and really aggressive. Obviously, this might stem from Real Madrid's aging core of players but in terms of pressing in La Liga um, only Sevilla have, have showcased fewer pressures than Real Madrid this season um, and that's not that that's overall pressures in the in the attacking third so pressing high up the field Real Madrid rank about 2019-18 uh, about, about 13th in the league for pressing in the final third for the middle third, they rank 19th. And for the defensive third, obviously the ball's not there very often. They rank about mid-table. So from a Liverpool perspective, Liverpool in the attacking third, I think, at top of the league or maybe second. Um, same with Manchester City, I think. You know, these these teams who are really dominant, they usually press without the ball and they're usually, usually really intense and stuff. And Real Madrid don't really fit that mould. They, they're just mm. kind of... Uh, and, and, you know, in terms of switches of play, this was in the piece as well. Um, but in terms of switches so far this season, Real Madrid have played 676 switches. That is behind only Sevilla. And both of those teams are kind of out in front. For, for perspective, Barcelona are 19th for switches of play. Um, and switches, switches are generally good and switches can cause problems for Liverpool you know Liverpool are inclined to shuffle over to one side so well Madrid can get these switches right it'll cause Liverpool problems but I just think I think what I'm trying to capture is the, the tempo differences of both of these teams Liverpool and Madrid it, it does favour Liverpool if, if Liverpool can get this into a fast game you know a really intense battle or whatever in a typical Klopp mould 
I think Real Madrid will be. Um, they won't be used to it. It'll be it'll be kind of new to them, I think. Yeah, I do think in general the league is a little bit slower as a as a, yeah. as a league than than the Premier League. So. You know, you're kind of playing one of the best, really, in in terms of of a intense game of football in Liverpool. And yeah, this this is why, you know, when the draw was made, I did think, you know, it's a good matchup, really, uh, for Liverpool. And you know, I, I I've gone a little bit more the other way in that, you know, it shouldn't really be underestimating Real Madrid too much because they are Real Madrid. And you, for me, looking at all the numbers beyond what you're just saying there, they look. The table, for once, feels like a really good reflection of, of, of the team that they are this, so far this year. I think they're third at the moment, uh, very close to Barcelona, six points behind Atletico. Um, if you look at most underlying metrics in La Liga, that's kind of where they are, the you know, top two, top three team. So it, it, Liverpool are basically taking on the second or third best team in Spain at the moment. So on that basis, it's never going to be easy. You know, it's always going to be a tough game, but just stylistically, there's there's reasons why Liverpool can be quite confident. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's the stylistic matchup of the game. It's, it's it's a bit of a shame though for me that that Anfield isn't going to be full when uh, when we did come to come to Liverpool because uh, if there's one thing that can up the tempo of a game and really get the match to descend into chaos almost, it is the atmosphere at Anfield, and I think. If, and I think the second leg is at Anfield as well. I think I'm insane. So, you know, if, if that if that was the case, I'd be pretty confident that Liverpool are going to progress. But with it being with it taking place in empty grounds, I'm not sure whether Henderson's going to be fit in the midfield to really pressurise these players and help the match descend into something a bit mad. You know, it's it, it it's hard to predict a little bit, but I do think stylistically, in general, it, it looks. Favorable for Liverpool, not favorable to the extent that Liverpool should wipe the floor with them, like we've said yeah. in the past with certain opponents, but just favorable in terms of what could have been the case in terms of what Liverpool could have got. Yeah, yeah. When you get to the last eight, it's kind of you know it, it, it's probably the best you could hope for, unless you got Porto. But even you know Porto haven't been too bad actually this year. So uh, yeah, that's it. In the context of who you could have had, it's a really good draw, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I think we'll do predictions on this one then, Dave. Uh, stick with the first leg for now. Um, it's a, it's a way the first leg, isn't it? Yeah, I'm gonna go one all. Okay, mm. reasons. I just think it, it it may be a little bit more cagey. I expect Madrid to be a little bit stronger at home, even without fans. Uh, I just think Liverpool won't be desperate to get it done on the night. Uh, I think they'll know that. They'll have a lot to offer that Anfield. Um, yeah, there may be reasons, mate. I think it's. Uh, I think Liverpool will be fairly content with that result. Yeah, I I really don't know how to predict this one. Um, I must say, I don't think Liverpool will lose the, the the first leg. I really don't think Liverpool will lose. I feel like we could comfortably get a win. You know, considering all the stylistic things I've just mentioned, but then with it being away. The quality Real Madrid have, specifically in the department that Liverpool are weak, you know, in the sense sense of forward and stuff. Um, it just feels like a difficult one to predict. I think I'm also going to go one all, but I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool s- snatched the two one. To be honest, mm. um, it ju- it just depends if Liverpool can get the match tempo to speed up. If Liverpool can get Real Madrid playing their playing Liverpool's game, 
Liverpool will win, obviously. Um, but it just depends how how much of a say the likes of Modric and Cruz can have on the speed of the game. Um, but yeah, we will see. Being interested, one looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be back next week after the Real Madrid tie to talk about you know what happened before. And I think Liverpool play second leg against Real Madrid the following week. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks like so. Liverpool play on the sixth, and the second leg is on the fourteenth. So, yeah, next week we'll be back to preview whatever happened on the first leg, and we'll probably be looking ahead to the second leg as well. So, hopefully Liverpool get a win, and hopefully things keep looking up. Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.